Good morning, LBC Radio. This is Corey Rosen with the Story Podcast. Today I have on a special guest, Mr. Andrew Russell. Andrew got his start with music at an early age. Andrew started making mixtapes by grabbing snips from the radio of the tunes he loved as a child and would then learn to play them on his first drum kit along with the tracks. As Andrew grew up, he started to learn other instruments and found that he could easily and quickly pick up the basics of most instruments he put his hands on. In his teenage years, Andrew watched as digital technology started to develop in the industry and became hooked on sampling, sequencing, and mixing beats and songs of his own. Behind a computer or a mixer felt more at home for him. Andrew soon found himself mixing FOH for some of the best cabaret singers on the NYC circuit while still in high school. The road from there took a few twists and turns, quite literally, but after some time, he found himself back behind a mixer doing what he truly loves, bringing quality sound music to the masses. Andrew now works at, as the lead music engineer at Zotropolis Cinema Stillhouse in Lancaster, PA. Mr. Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm well. I'm well, Corey. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah, no problem. So you said um, you started by snipping stuff from the radio. Is that where uh, your inspiration and your drive to do music came from? Oh, man. Um, I always loved music as a kid. It, it just touched me in a, a way that uh, it's hard to explain. I always felt inspired and mm. uh, uh, moved by music at a young age. I wasn't didn't know what was inspiring me or moving me, but I just knew music made me feel different um, and, and rang uh, a note with me, so to say, mm. uh, <laughs> that, that few other things did. Um, I just enjoyed it so much. Um, so, uh, you know, when I was a kid, like, that's what we had. We had radio and, that, and that's mm. it. And I remember having this little red Sears, Sears made boombox, Sears brand uh, boombox, and Everything was analog, and you know we had the little cassette tapes. And uh, if you heard a song that you wanted to hear again, that's how you had to get it. Mm. Like you recorded it onto straight a little cassette radio. tape. Yep, straight from the radio. Um, so we do that onto one tape, and then the fancy things were, you know, the the boomboxes that had two tape decks. And I was like, okay, I can get it from the radio onto one tape. Now I have another tape over here, and I can get the songs that I like. Now I can arrange them in order. It added a whole other dynamic. Mixtape. Like it was a big deal to have a boombox that had two tape decks on it. So you so, can make it like your own little album. Exactly. Almost. Your own little quote playlist. Playlist, yeah. That's <laughs> so it, it took a few more steps to get where you wanted to be. And versus, you know When was that? Are like, you gonna make me age myself on the on the I don't know how long. Oh man. Um well I'll be forty six this year. So, also, uh, so that wasn't that long ago. <laughs> okay, like, if you say com so. comparatively, right? <laughs> comparatively. Uh yeah, uh, I was a kid doing that stuff, I'd say early eighties. Mm. Early, mid eighties. You know, because I, I grew up with uh my my dad still had a car with the uh you know, the mixtape or the the eight what is it called? Is it, it definitely was an eight track when eight you track, were a kid. Yeah, no, right. no. Or did, was it eight track or was a cassette it? tape? No, definitely cassette tape. Yep. Cassette tape. Yeah, like I was going to say it was an eight track. Well, I, I have seen an eight track thing. Uh, I do remember those. In a museum? In, no, no. <laughs> in, in like uh, one of my, my school was re really underfunded as a kid. So it was like one of their, instead of a CD player, they had like an eight track system and they had all their old, old tapes that they would play music yeah. from that way. Um, but yeah, it was definitely one of the smaller cassette tapes that he had. And um, I grew to love those. That's what, uh, I didn't realize Chris Tomlin was this old, but that's how I, that's when I first heard uh, "Here I Am to Worship," yeah. one of my favorite songs of all time. Um, and uh, how I heard, um, oh, that doesn't matter. But anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I do remember the old the old cassette tapes. So yeah, so I got going with the, on those. Yeah, uh, you know, and I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know it would be such a profound thing like later in life to. Uh, and it, I didn't know that a lot of people wouldn't have the sense to do what I was mm. doing, and that like some type of early form of you know putting together playlists and uh, understanding the signal flow and understanding like how to chop things up, just yeah. using like uh, play, pause, record, and like the most basic tools that you can imagine, um, and to make it sound okay. You know that's wild to me that 
um, from like a little boom box that you would have to like re- you would receive the signal. First off, you would have to find the spot where the signal was clear. Yeah, yeah. And then you would have to. I don't I don't know the process, but I, I guess it's just it's just kind of like almost burning like a CD in some aspects, or is it literally just? Well, you you'd have to pull it off uh, uh, the radio live and in real time. Right. There was no like zooming through things, and and when you laid out, you know, um, uh, a recording or you know. Uh, took your samples or your clips of tracks and put them onto the next one. It, it was all real time. So it, I mean. You had to the, be good. You had to be good. Well, either that or have a lot of time. Right. And, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 you know, just to keep doing it, to keep, to get it right. You, you had know? to call on a DJ. Hey, I want to hear this song at this time. Either that or just listen and listen and right, listen. Right. And the rotations weren't heavy like they are now. Well, I, I, I can't imagine that they, they were. Besides, even today, you'll hear radio stations that play the same exact song over and over and oh, over yeah. again. Yeah, so within not, an hour. Yeah. yeah. I'm not I'm I'm sure that it was similar back then as well. Not nearly as uh songs weren't in as heavy of rotation. You did hear a lot of the same songs frequently, um, but not as often as modern radio at oh, all. Really? Yeah. No. Um so the, it was the, there. The Hence, hearing... I was clipping them off the radio, so mm-hmm. I could, you know, could hear them and then get to know them better, and uh, and then start to learn them effectively. You know, um, you know, I got, uh, oh man, I bullied my parents into getting me a drum kit, like when I was real young, and uh, somehow convinced them. Uh, kind of moving into another segment mm-hmm. here, um, uh, kind of convinced them that that was a good idea, and I guarantee they regretted it, like tremendously okay. like probably almost immediately um you know I, I know some kids who have a drum set and it's just why did i give them a drum set i how old were you when you got your drum set oh man i i don't know uh had to have been 10 well at least as, i know some people who give like the three-year-olds a drum set and i'm like why would why they don't even have the ca- capacity or capability to like know what they're doing at least a 10 year old yeah they'll, they'll go crazy yeah but they'll learn yeah what to do yeah i mean it it kind of depends you know it, it's a, it's a very subjective thing some oh, like three-year-olds sure. have it naturally built in oh and yeah some you know for some people it's it's more of an acquired skill um Was you know more acquired if somebody or? somebody who's given their kid a, a drum set at three years old obviously comes from a music background right yes that's, so that's also true that's something yeah. they've got built into the kids dna yep. hopefully and uh, uh you know uh, i would imagine would pick it up so uh to me like i didn't grow up in a super musical mm. uh household uh my parents had their vinyl and they had their records that they liked and it was pretty conservative and you know John Denver and Beach Boys and stuff like that. There was no like uh, Led Zeppelin or Doors or stuff or right. stuff that was considered like heavy metal to them. Um, it, it just it wasn't around in the household. Mm. Um, my my brother did have some uh, uh, heavier stuff that uh, kind of inspired me a little bit. But uh, so, what was your reasoning for for getting the drums of, out of all things? Oh, geez, uh, it, it just felt natural to me. Um, it was something that's easy for me to pick up, pick up on, and uh, I could sit there and tap. You can just sit there and yep, tap, sit there and tap, yeah, tap along with anything on anything, and uh, it just, it just spoke to me. Spoke Fair to me. Enough. It was something that felt natural and came kind of easy to me. Is there anything you got like pretty decent at, or? I mean, I think drums uh, and percussion were the first thing. They were like my first love. Uh, it took me a while, you know, like I said, I got that drum, talked my parents in to get the drum kit. Uh, I take those mixtapes that I was making, those mm-hmm. clippets from the radio, and just play along with them. Like, put the headphones on and just beat the heck out of those drums, you know, trying to f- play along with that and mimic. I didn't know anything about theory. I uh, hadn't taken any lessons, nothing. Mm. And uh, No you know, rudiments, no nothing. No nothing at that point. And uh, just put the headphones on and started learning. And, uh, you know... Um, anything I could get my hands on, really, anything that rang to me. So, uh, moving on from there, what what uh, grew your expert? Did you do drums in high school? Did you do? Did you go to college for what? I did. Um, I did. I, I uh, played for a while on my own, and I got kind of okay with it. Then, uh, that was you know way too young for any real music program right. back then. 
um, back then the music program was like they gave you a recorder and where'd like, you live? You drove the uh, uh, teacher crazy. Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Okay, so yeah, yeah, I grew much up middle of the nowhere. Yeah, I grew up in nowhere, Wisconsin, like right on Lake Michigan, and it, it was beautiful. Oh yeah, um, for sure. There just wasn't a lot going on. Besides um, cheese. Yeah, there was <laughs> cheese. There was cheese everywhere and cows and uh, and the lake, but the lake was beautiful. You know, cows love music. They do. Yeah. Have you huh. ever played for cows? Unbeknownst to me, yes. Uh, well. <laughs> um, um, so anyway, yeah. anyway, yeah, I, I did get involved in school. Oh, yeah. um, to Public school on a very minimal level. Um, mm. I eventually ended up going to boarding school. And in boarding school, um, music and art was heavily encouraged. Oh, really? And that's where things really took off for me, like in terms of, that stuff started ringing bells like, okay, this might be something. I might have something here. I might be able to right. do something with this later down the road. That's so interesting. Usually boarding schools are kind of like strict. Oh, it like, was strict. Don't oh, get me wrong. It? Oh, it was super strict. You want to um, give me a, a rundown then like a day oh, of boarding man. school? Um, I've never, I've, I, I kind of, I've heard things, but <clears> I've <throat> never <throat> been a part of, never seen one, never really talked to someone who's been to a boarding school. So <laughs> I, uh, uh, Grew up in Wisconsin. I came to Lancaster uh, uh, in the late 80s uh, as an early teenager and got in trouble. Had some mm. behavioral problems. And I, I went to boarding school, um, 89, something like that, 90. And, um, you know, it was super strict because, it, you know, it was all kids that had behavioral problems, mental health problems, um, social problems. Um, it was kind of a school uh, for everybody to go to that, like, kind of didn't fit in anywhere else or got kicked out of everywhere else. Mm -hmm. um, I was asked to leave Hempfield High School. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, and went there. And I was getting in trouble. And it, it was a good move for right. my mom to make. And uh, I didn't like it at the time. Um, but anyway, moving on from that, it was, it was strict. You know, we'd wake up. We had a, a, a set wake-up time. You know, you had a certain amount of time to shower, get dressed, clean your room, get to breakfast, like this, like everything was very regimented. And you lived there like full time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like military boot camp just for kids yeah. in school. Yeah, we used to call it the uh, janitorial arts school. Oh, really? Because, you know, you made you were made to clean everything and oh, no. take care of everything well, very well. And, well, that's probably you know. a plus for you now. No, my apartment's a mess. Oh, oh well, No, it's a disaster. Fair enough. <laughs> well, I, guess, well I, I remember in college they used to like make us do dorm duties and I, it would just I, I, I hated it I, I didn't I'm I'm a germaphobe uh, like a severe germaphobe um, and uh, so I would always like regret doing like re have having to do dorm duties but now that I live in like my own apartment with with a really good friend I'm, I'm okay with like doing the dishes I'm okay with like cleaning the shower or whatever it's really it's been a really weird experience yeah I go I go in cycles with it yeah. like my apartment will be a mess for a few weeks and then it gets cleaned up yep. for a few weeks and just like anything in life right it, it, it goes in cycles so anyway uh, you know so you got uh, the boarding school and you started uh, doing the music more Started doing the music more, found that things got a little bit freer for me in terms of time at the school, mm. in terms of privileges, in terms of living situations. And, and like the arts programs were treated a little bit differently at that school anyway um, than the regular programs. So I, I allowed me a little bit more freedom, which I really liked. And uh, I got to do stuff that I really liked um, and work with some extraordinarily talented kids and and adults um our theater program uh director um I, I did theater i did music um anything i could really um our uh directors were people that had come like straight off broadway oh wow um you know uh really like talented people would come through that school and teach i'm, so. I'm slowly realizing that a lot of talent around here made their way from like New York or LA. Oh, absolutely. Or, yeah, yeah. All the most of the talent around here definitely has this is their retirement place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I'm really I didn't like all the rules and everything, but I'm so happy about the opportunities that going to that school afforded me in terms of experience. Mm -hmm. In terms of meeting um, you know, some of these cabaret singers and and people that have worked on Broadway. Um 
eventually so, I would go on to, you know, yeah. do some work off Broadway. And uh, uh, it it was a tremendous experience as a kid. Because that, that, that was that was probably your end from from those experiences. I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, meeting those people from New York City, that's probably where you got your in. Kind of. Um, it kind of helped me get. It got me a taste for the city young mm. and a taste for the industry. And um, I knew a few people enough to say that I want to go to New York City. In terms of going to New York City and getting your feet in, you know, getting a foot in the door there. I mean, obviously, it's different for everybody as they go there. For me, it took a couple years. Well, yeah, because in the nineties, you know, the rap scene is is exploding in New York City. Oh, it was, yeah, <laughs> it was everywhere. Big yeah, and yeah. all all those ra- all those rappers that it's it's ex- exploding out of Brooklyn and there was Queens. Also, uh, I, I took a turn at one point. Um, I graduated from that school um, a little bit later on in ninety six. I actually ended up okay. staying um, longer. You had to graduate not only academically but uh, the community had to agree that you were ready to move on to the next stage of your life. Hmm. So there was not only an academic uh, component to that school, there was like more a social, a social and uh, emotional component yeah. as well. That's interesting. Yeah, it was it was certainly different. Um, so anyway, uh, I ended up leaving that school. You know, uh, almost twenty. You know. Um, hmm. Oh wow. Yeah, I was almost twenty years old. So it was ninety six. Yeah, I was twenty. I just oh. turned twenty, like right after I left. Um, but anyway, um, so I left the school and, uh, where I was going with that is, uh, kind of got out of actual, like playing instruments, which oh, yeah. is going to sound strange and more in to the back end, like the production stuff. Um, even while at school, I kind of gotten out of that. Um, I had learned, and I mentioned this in the blurb, like, like I found myself more comfortable being behind the scenes. Mm. I like performing. Um, I never thought I was particularly good at it, um, which is a whole other topic that I, I want to, to come back to. Sure, I'd love. I'd love to get into the imposter syndrome. I yeah, don't know if yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, talked yeah. about that at all. I've definitely here. Um, had that myself. Oh, absolutely. I think everybody does. But um, you know, I, I performed in school, and I, I've done all kinds of things, and even after school, performed um, quite a bit. But uh, I just never had the comfort level that I did like behind the mixer and behind a computer and doing stuff digitally. And uh, after graduating school, watching the move from everything go from like analog over to digital mm-hmm. and uh, the DJs, you know, the rise mm-hmm. of the DJs and the house music scene. You mentioned hip hop, mm-hmm. which kind of brought me on to thinking about, well, I got my first set of turntables and started DJing right around uh, 96, 97. And, you know, I got my first set of Technics 1200s, uh, two turntables, a mixer, and started buying vinyl and, you know, and, and found a level of comfort there that was different for me. Because um, in high school, um, in a school with, you know, an emphasis on the performing arts, so to say, man, I was surrounded by some really talented songwriters and musicians and stuff. And quite frankly, to me, in my head, I, I couldn't keep up with that. Mm. And uh, I was like, oh, man, I got to start thinking of another way that this is going to work right. for me or, or to be involved in the scene. Um, and I do okay again playing music, but if it felt more natural to let them do it, the guys that I felt were better playing. Right. And to find a way in which I could incorporate myself. And support them. And support them. And, you know, be a part of the show without right. being in the in show. The show yeah. yeah. You're not the show. You're just a part of it. Yeah. 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 So, so how did you, you say you made your way up to New York City. How did you uh, get your foot in? How was <coughs> that process like? What was it like to work for the cabarets? So um, in, uh, in that boarding school, what we did is uh, the summer programs, um, we did a dinner theater type mm. deal. Not type deal. It was a dinner theater during the week. And. We'd perform uh, like Sondheim, Gershwin, all that fun stuff and serve dinner. You know, a bunch of kids running around dressed up. And uh, we had a certain uh, clientele that loved that. And then on the weekends, uh, the director would bring in cabaret singers from New York City. And Mm -hmm. uh, they'd come in and we'd do these specials every weekend. So during the week, it was dinner theater. And the weekend, it was cabaret. 
And, uh, you know, some of the top guys uh, and gals at the time uh, in the New York City circuit were coming out to this little school in uh, Massachusetts and performing. Oh, and, Massachusetts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they that's would come out to school. us. And, um, yeah, that's where the boarding school was. And, oh, I thought you meant yeah. the boarding school was in Lancaster. No, no. Oh. Yeah, they, they, they really sent me away. <laughs> they were like, I can't be bothered with him anymore. <laughs> yeah, he's got to go. No. No, they were very sweet and kind about it. And, um, no, I needed help. I needed to go there. So, um, so uh, yeah, so the performers would come out. And, um, you know, I started by my first few seasons of that stuff, like not performing. I did behind the scenes, like was doing dishes and, you know, uh, for the dinner theater and for the cabaret. And then uh, it got to a point where I said, okay, um, I want to do this. And, like, I was singing and, you know, doing the whole nine yards. And then I was like, well, you know, I think I'm a... I like the tech part of this a lot. And I was like watching somebody run an old Allen and Heath, you know, analog mixing council and quickly, like it just made sense to me. Mm. Like I could look at what he was doing and the, the <clears throat> guy doing the stuff was gracious enough to, you know, give me a crash course, you know, this does this and this does that. And I was learning about accents and grouping and, you know, panoramic EQs and stuff this mm. uh, way before, you know, digital anything. I, it just made sense, and I, you know, next thing I know, a season or two later, I was, you know, mixing those, it, yeah. yeah, and just doing the thing, and then, um, you know, uh, I graduated, uh, kind of went down a wormhole of uh, a couple different things, like, like I said, the turntable stuff, the DJing stuff, um, moved around a bit, kind of took a little time off before ending up in New York City, um, a couple years anyway, and I want to say I landed. Went up there to the New York City area around 99 um, mm. to go to college for mechanical engineering. I, I also had a love for cars and motorcycles and, you know, uh, all kinds of things to, you know, get hurt doing. Right, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> but very um, profitable, though. Um, it can be. Oh, yeah, right. It, it can, can be, be, just like with anything. Um, it kind of depends why you're in it. Um, that's, that's fair. Um, I, I've always been a, a chaser of passion, not of money. Um, fair enough. So, uh but yeah, anyway, uh, getting up there and like getting my foot in the door, so to say, uh, I had some friends from the school um, that lived in New York City. Okay. So um, they were gracious and, uh, you know, opened their doors to me and uh, introduced me to some of that culture. Uh, uh, New York City mostly for me was uh, DJ culture and clubs and mm -hmm. um, that kind of scene. Um, so they, uh, you know kind of pointed me in the right direction. And from there, it was like you kind of hit the ground and, and you just go. Um, in a big city like that, it becomes all about who you know. Right. Networking, yes. um, being able to get yourself out there, uh, whether it be as an artist, as an engineer, um, whatever. Uh, what was your way of doing that, of of getting out there, putting your name out there? Because without social media, at least in those days. Yeah, you showed up. You just... You just showed up and did it. You just showed up and were out at every gig that you could get out to, uh, every event that was going on. If you saw a group of people that were doing something that you wanted to be a part of, just start showing your face there. Um, start showing your face, get to know people. Hopefully you know one or two people that's showing up at this event and uh, you just networked. And uh, for me, that wasn't didn't come naturally. It took a little bit of effort. Are you consider yourself an introvert? To a point, yeah. Okay. To a point. I mean, I, I, I think I'm uh, a balance of both. Uh, gotcha. Extroverted and introvert. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm perfectly comfortable being alone um, at my apartment with my cats, uh, or uh, I kind of flourish in the social setting to if I'm there. Right. If, if I manage to make it there, and like, I, I do okay. okay. Um, so... That's the wonderful thing about the engineering stuff for me now, too, is it, it scratches that social itch for me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm at work. I'm getting paid to do something that I really love to do. And I get that little bit of social interaction. Actually, it's a, it's a lot. Yeah, nowadays. right. I, like, yeah. That's Atropolis. Um, uh, and then I can go back home and, like, be okay with it. So I, at first, it was a challenge. And uh, I eased. I found ways to make myself more comfortable doing it. Mm. Um. You know, uh, a big part of the scene up, up in New York specifically is, you know, and when you're at the age when you're going out to clubs, you start drinking. Right. You right. know, and, and alcohol plays a huge role in 
other substance as well. And, uh, you know, it's just became part of it and mm-hmm. makes you a little more relaxed and a little more sociable. Right. Maybe not as good at your job or as good at what you're trying to do. But <laughs> good at networking. Good at, at networking yeah. to a point, yeah. So what are some of the crazy uh, clubs you've worked for or been a part of? And at least, or, or did you ever get the chance to work for a club in New York City? I did, yeah. I, I worked at a bunch of different venues there. One of, one of the most notable still open would be, uh, I've done some work at Webster Hall. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, which is a big one. Um, I'd help a buddy out at Crowbar in New York City, um, which was a big club up there. I believe they still have venues open in uh, Chicago and Miami. Um, I worked for a little underground club called Sullivan Room, uh, which was absolutely phenomenal. They would host, um, I mean, the brightest and best talents I would thought at the time in house music and techno music. Um, some of the guys that had like scored like the first Fast and Furious movie, like oh really, oh yeah, yeah, oh that's awesome. Um, people, Josh Wink, who is a, a Philly native, um, very prominent DJ still in the scene today, um, and an innovator. Uh, back in the day in the '90s, he's you know got to work with him. Um, man, all kinds of just brilliantly talented people from all over the world, right. If you're going to be anywhere, at least in the DJing scene, it's yeah. probably New York City yeah. in, in the 90s, thousands. Yeah. And I'm sure we've all heard of like the limelight. I mean, a lot of people have. And there was, there was other, there's just so Countless. much going um, on there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you said um, before the show, you had talked about work, working with WWE. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get there? <clears throat> so uh, I kind of moved out of the city at that point. And, uh, I was just kind of hanging out and I was doing the car thing. I, I mentioned that I like mechanics mm. and uh, I was doing the car thing and I uh, had this gig like kind of working on and building race cars and I uh, wasn't happy. Um, mm. I wasn't happy doing that for money. Um, I, I had taken kind of like another passion of mine and uh, turned it into a job. Gotcha. Which is a tricky thing to do with music as well. Um, you know, when you take your passion and turn it into work. And uh, uh, support your living doing it. it it's, it's another animal. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, anyway, I was unhappy doing that. And I met somebody who's uh, running a small company, um, doing audio stuff. And the company was going through pretty massive uh, development. And um, he brought me on board. You know, uh, we just knew each other from a few brief conversations. Hey, do you want to go on tour in the Northeast? Sure. Yeah. W- what do you got for me? You're going to be touring with WWE wrestling, like Nitro and That's like wild. stuff like that. Yeah. And this was uh, 2009, I want to say. 2010. So, pro- so like just after like maybe the golden age of WWE. Yeah. It was like Kurt Angle. Like, yeah. Like, right. like I was hanging out with him. Like That's <laughs> wild. Like I'd leave front of house for a second, like come back to where I was sitting, mixing front of house and like Kurt Angle's like sitting in my seat. And I'm like, dude, you got to move. He's like, I, tell me again. Kurt Angle's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, gets you know moves from behind the mixer. <laughs> that's, that's so funny. Yeah, it was pretty wild, man. So, what is one of out of all of these experiences? Do you have like a, a funny moment, or I'm sure there's plenty, but uh, a moment that had gone wrong, or uh, oh, man. stupid stuff just happened. So many things going wrong. So many things going right. I, I don't. It's hard to say, man. Um. Is there anyone that just pops in your mind right now you want to tell us? Um, man, uh, I did a VH1 behind the music. I don't know if you ever saw that. You might be mm-hmm. too young for that. So VH1 would go around and um, uh, they'd go to public schools in New York City and, and I guess other venues or other cities as well. And uh, they're trying to educate kids about music and, you know, mm-hmm. um, show them a little bit about it and bring like artists to them. Um, uh, so they could see what the music industry was about. about kind of like AMP almost? I don't know what AMP is. Oh, no? Yeah, yeah. Oh, never mind. Keep going. But anyway. <laughs> so uh, I was working at uh, a public school in New York City, and the artist was the Jonas Brothers, which what? was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this was like after their first initial like peak uh, uh, stardom or whatever, and they kind of fell off the scene for a little bit. And uh, but still, that's... Yeah, it was still a pretty big name. The bigger name at the show was SpongeBob. Really? SpongeBob was there. And um, 
Like the musical or? No, just like SpongeBob, man. Just, like, just, just, just SpongeBob. So I, I guess I'm allowed to talk. I, I don't know. SpongeBob was super secretive and like had uh, the SpongeBob costume had its own security. <laughs> so turns out, you know, because of the branding, because of how big of a thing like SpongeBob is, um, at the time anyway, I'll, I'll speak to how things were when I worked mm-hmm. with that crew. Um, there was only one person that could portray SpongeBob. There was only one costume, hence it had its own security. And the person who was playing SpongeBob was this, you know, little woman. And um, like, yeah, it, you can, couldn't take the chance of messing up the brand. Right, yeah, you know, yeah. It's that important, worth that much money. You know, you hire the wrong person to come out and do SpongeBob or, or whatever, and they do one thing that's offbeat or, you know, uh, <laughs> not right, you know, uh, uh, you could lose potentially right. millions and millions of dollars on the line. So it was it was funny to me that, like, I'm, I'm at that gig and, like, I'm doing the thing and I'm thinking the Jonas Brothers are the big deal there. And uh, turns out, like, SpongeBob was the big, you know, I see these big security guys, like, coming in the venue with, like, a big black case. And I'm like, what on earth is in that case? And it was the SpongeBob costume. Suit. It was the SpongeBob suit. It had, had more security than the Jonas, Jonas Brothers. Brothers. That <laughs> is so funny. It blew my mind. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> so things like that. Like, I don't know. You think you know something about something and you show up and uh, you, you never know. Right. So... um how did you make your way back to Lancaster City? So, um, <coughs> I've been up in uh, in New York City for, or in the immediate area from, I want to say, 99 to about 2010, 2011. I went through um, a pretty messy divorce at oh, the time of somebody that I'd been together with for about a decade. And... Um, I just couldn't find my groove mm. and uh, I needed a change of scene. And uh, um, I was running into some other problems as well. Um, I had substance abuse problems and alcoholism um, going on and uh, going through something really uh, difficult like that kind of fueled that stuff. And uh, this was actually like right, uh, right around the time of the Jonas Brothers stuff and everything too. Um, I wasn't in good shape like when all mm-hmm. that stuff was going on. And uh, it felt right. I have family here, and mm-hmm. I had spent a few years here. Like I said, I went to Hempfield, got in trouble, and you know, left. And right. uh, you know, years later, you know, it just seemed uh, like a good place to come back and like gather myself and like take a deep breath and uh, uh, figure out what I, where I wanted to go from here. Because mm-hmm. um, at that point, you know, um, I was in my thirties. You know. Um, do I really want to keep doing this New York City hustle? I mean, it's a lifestyle up there. Oh, for sure. It is fast-paced. It is very... It, it's almost unmanageable. It's absolutely unmanageable yeah. um, if you don't approach it the right way. Right. And I was not approaching it the right way at the time. So, um, yeah, I needed the break. And um, I, I needed something different. And uh, so I just came back here and I said, like, let me figure out what I want to do. And um, I didn't know. Um I didn't come back out here to pursue any particular career. Um, it was more to pursue a little uh, self-knowledge, a little self-awareness. Um, what direction do I want to go? Like, just start to figure things out. Right. And I had family here, so. Yeah. so that must have been nice. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I came back to, to a very supportive family and uh, kind of started to pick up the pieces and like, okay, what do I want to do? Where do I want to go from here? And... Um, I ended up, uh, you know, coming back here and um, dabbling in music a little bit. Um, found, uh, fell back on my mechanical skills and uh, was working. Um, you know, uh, I had worked for Jaguar through the years and uh, BMW and mm. with motorcycles and with cars. And it seems to be like a, a, an ability that a lot of audio engineers or system engineers like have. Um, to go back and forth between like mechanical stuff, then, yeah. like um, a lot of people that are like nerdy mechanics um, also have a hobby of either computers or audio or something along those lines. It's 
seems to me like the the thought process of you know troubleshooting of signal flow yeah, it's very and logical. everything yeah, yeah is um something that we share across those industries and probably some others too but um i've met a lot of audio engineers that uh have motorcycles have mm -hmm. hot rods mm -hmm. or and vice versa so um i was in that for a while um um and uh doing the car stuff doing the motorcycle stuff and then um just started slowly jumping back into the audio stuff did it more leisurely mm. so to say like did it for fun did the djing stuff and like yeah, just didn't take it seriously just kind of did it for fun did radio stuff well not radio uh internet you know mm -hmm. um stuff and just kept playing with it and uh you know started to slowly get gigs in lancaster meet people um do some networking out here and uh i'd eventually work um for matt hostetter uh uh at a gig geez uh he's one of the owners at zotropolis now and uh, he coordinates all the live events um so i did a gig for him and no idea who he was or that he would end up owning you know be a part owner or mm. partner in zotropolis and uh you know we just stayed connected through the years and uh when zotropolis opened um he had asked me to engineer the opening weekend of it and uh next thing i knew you know um I was kind of like back into the music thing uh, pretty heavily. And uh, it, um, Zotropolis uh, for me has been, um, uh, it wasn't always full time. Like uh, I started there like engineering a show here and there. And eventually um, it's only last year, like a little kind of post pandemic stuff that uh, they decided uh, I'd been advocating for a while for them to get an engineer in there. That's uh, so you have the same engineer every weekend at your venue, right? Yeah. Versus having touring engineers or uh, different local engineers come in every weekend. It just didn't make doesn't make sense yeah, it's, to it's, me. It's different setups, different uh, different everything. Different every setups. Well, they have a house engineer there that knows the sound oh, system, yeah. knows its strengths, knows its weaknesses, mm -hmm. knows where everything's plugged in, knows where the breakers are. Right. Like. Um, and I think after uh, uh, struggling a little bit, you know, the, the, yeah, we need someone. And the, <laughs> Andrew, what do you think about, you know, coming in? And I, I was, you know, elated. Like, yeah, you know, it's a dream come true. Awesome. So, yeah. So it took um, a long time. That That's a oh, very yeah, short sure. version of a long right. story. Um, well, yeah, we just kind of condensed your entire life into like <coughs> 40 minutes. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's a radio. Right, right. <laughs> so um, what... Over all of your experiences, what are some of the things that you constantly notice that musicians make mistakes in? Oh, man. Um, thinking uh, thinking you know something that, that you don't, or like having mm -hmm. a closed mind or having set thinking and not being um, open to try something different. Um, sometimes uh, it's easy to have like a narrow viewpoint like tunnel vision mm -hmm. so to say um thinking that something's going to work uh this has worked in the past um i've always done it this way what's that uh, i've always done it this way it yeah yeah this, this way, is yeah. the formula this is going to work no matter what right. um i don't think that's the case um in in many aspects of life um and i understand that thinking too I, you know i fall into that uh at times as well yeah. it works sometimes yeah right. you can come up with a formula it'll work for a little while um and and some people some people have gotten extremely lucky and they've come up with a formula early on that has worked mm -hmm. for uh you know the test of time but that's that's a lot rarer um, so that, you know um, I think one of the biggest mistakes is thinking that uh, uh, there's a universal formula to everything um, keep an open mind listen to the house engineer mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> unpopular opinion number one because they might uh, they might know something uh, you know that, that you don't or that speaking from their experience um mm -hmm. you know uh work with the team you know um i i have some touring musicians and some people that come in in general like i'd say 90 percent, 95 percent, maybe um maybe even higher than that the artists that i work with now that come through are um super open and they listen to me and whatnot in some bigger forums um they're not they come in they want to boss around mm -hmm. the help and mm -hmm. uh yeah that doesn't work no that doesn't work for anybody no it's <laughs> it's, it's 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 yeah it's unhelpful because overall it, it just creates this atmosphere of 
of hate and like distrust almost and then and then the performances you can you can always tell when a performance is off yeah you can also always tell like uh when the uh touring team or um the engineers or whoever's on you know crew hands on site are beat up Mm -hmm. and are not treated well Mm -hmm. and it emulates from um top to bottom on uh just about any production um you know there's there's people that'll uh uh speak to this like all through all industry you know um whether it be manufacturing uh, to entertainment to tv radio everywhere like uh if you treat everybody well and with respect like things just are better are better yeah the, pro- the end product specifically like with art mm-hmm. stuff and music um i've found in, in my experience like a happier team from top to bottom yields the best results yes so um what are some things that you would suggest to up and coming acts that want to figure out uh what their style is and all that jazz like what what are some tips and tricks because i know on amps you can do so many things with different amps and different pedals and uh do you suggest uh experimenting with those do you suggest of how do you suggest finding your sound it's a lot trickier nowadays because you have so much stuff at your fingertips like i didn't when i was a kid Mm -hmm. um now you have digital consoles that have everything built into them, all sorts of different ex- effects and DSPs. You want, you know, a gate, reverb, compression, or whatever. The world, like, literally, there's more, millions and millions of co- combinations at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have that. Um, I had to think about what I wanted to do and and buy outboard gear and add on this huge chunk of gear to try to get you know, a sound that I thought would work. And uh, um, I, I guess my, my point, what I'm trying to get at is like experiment with the tools that you have at your disposal um, to the best of, of your ability. Um, nowadays, uh, that rings a little bit different, I guess is my point, because there's so many tools mm-hmm. right at your fingertips. Um, nowadays, I tend to lean towards uh, keeping these m- more simple, you know, uh, uh, less is more to me. Mm-hmm. But I guess in terms of advice, like find your sound. Find uh, uh, a sound formula that works for you or uh, a position uh, that works for you in the industry that you think you can settle into and be comfortable and have some longevity and uh, you'll be happy doing and don't more worry, than anything. And don't worry about copying other people. No. Not it's, that's, that's, not what, that's not what it's about at all. No. And um, one well, th- you also got to decide like what you're going after. Oh, for sure. Because I hear like one of the things I used to hear growing up a lot too. I, I want to be a famous musician. Interesting, right? Because being famous and being a musician is two, two completely different things. Different things. Yep. And famous musicians rare that people refer to as a famous musician when they're talking about this A-list name. I'm not going to rattle any off, um, but uh, they're not good musicians. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the people that you hear on the radio. I have way better musicians come through Zotropolis on a weekly basis right. than most people I hear on the radio. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's wild. The like the only the only reason that they're that they're quote unquote famous is because they knew people and yeah. and they uh, are either started at an early age. Some of the people don't get me wrong; they do have gr- good talent. They, yeah, they're able to sing very very well. However, a lot of the times, what they're singing is something that was written specifically to be popular. Exactly. And that's that sells all good and well, but what um, the core of music and we kind of talk about this on a few podcasts on how it's being like corporatized. It's it's being oh, it's been there. Oh, it's been there for a long time. That's what that's what it is. It's the cookie cutter machine that says I love yeah. you in a million different ways. Since the beginning of, uh, uh, you know, uh, commercial radio uh, back, you know, geez, 40s, 50s, 60s. Like, yeah, it's been happening since then. And. We're actually, what's great is we're in an age where that's well, finally starting, starting to go to away yep. because of the digital platform now. Mm-hmm. And record companies are out of the picture for a lot of... Yeah, it's... But if you want to find like really, really good talent, you got to look locally, uh, especially if you want to hear new things. Yes. You're not going to hear... Rel- rel- unless you're in the snarky puppy, you're not going to hear good things yeah. or new things on the radio. If you're willing to go down the wormhole on the internet and, and look around and, um, you know, uh, 
that was a big thing like uh, DJing is like finding the music that nobody else had and mm. it used to be a lot easier because we didn't have the digital platform but um, you know find a record label that you like find out who's on that record label what other people they've worked with like you gotta look yeah, I saw that. That was one interesting thing that uh, that was mentioned before that on CDs that they would have like yeah, kind of like yeah. people that was, that was similar. That was like my guidebook. Yeah, you know, I'd look on you know um, some uh, you know CD covers from my favorite artists like as a teenager and like who produced this, who is working on this, what studios it recorded at, and then you know I'd be able to like look through. We had magazines was our internet back then. I subscribed to a couple audio magazines and. I'd find out what gear they were working on, this, that. It was a whole different thing. Whole different but thing, but yeah. you can go down that wormhole a lot easier now. Uh, oh, yeah. Hop online, f you know, figure out who produced the album, who worked on it, who wrote the songs, uh, and uh, what equipment they used, and, and seek it, you know? Yeah. it's And it's all about what you... I, I When I say don't copy someone, what I mean is, like, you don't want to do everything exactly the same, but you can no. emulate people and, like, kind of aim for yeah, that sound. absolutely. that's what you want. Yeah, there's... And it's like this with many things in life. There's a lot of different ways to get the same result mm -hmm. or a similar result. But just mainly do what you want to do. If that if that's what if that's what you're going for, just yeah. do what you want to do. Do what you again. Find your feet. Find where you're comfortable and uh, uh, and do it. So we had kind of talked about imposter syndrome a little was, bit earlier. Yeah. Do you want to get into that now? Oh man, I I wish I had heard that term 20 years before I actually did. Um, and uh, nowadays, like uh, uh, mental health and all sorts of uh, uh, health things and like psychological things and therapeutic things are talked about a lot more mm -hmm. very publicly uh, than, than they were when I was a kid. It just wasn't a thing. Um, so I didn't hear that term until much later in my career uh, or life. I'm not in late life, but but um, <laughs> anyway, uh, that term... Uh, kind of like rang true to me immediately as soon as I heard it. So imposter syndrome, if anybody's listening and like doesn't quite understand what that is, it's like the feeling of you don't deserve to be where you are. I don't belong here. Like I'm mm -hmm. on a gig uh, uh, doing the thing or getting some accolades or, or awards and it's like, I don't belong here. How did I end up here? Um, I shouldn't be here. If they find out that I don't know this as well as they think I know this, yeah. they're going to fire me on the spot, you know, um, so it's, it's walking into a room with like A-list musicians and then realizing I can't do this. Yeah. Well, thinking. Oh, thinking I can't. you can't do. Yeah, right, thinking right, right. I can't yes. do this. Thinking. But the fact of the matter is you're standing in that room with A-list musicians for a reason. Mm -hmm. Because you can do it. Yes. Otherwise you wouldn't be, be there. there. You wouldn't exactly. have been invited. So I go through that even to this day like at Zotropolis sometimes, man. Um, you know, uh we have some extremely good artist come through there and I'll be like, oh God, you know, am I supposed to be here? Am I, am I supposed to be I'm mixing, mixing this show? Yeah, you know? I'm mixing for them. Yeah, yeah. And I, man, it's uh, it's something that uh, chased me around in all, all sorts of different fields and it, it's it's applicable uh, across the board to any walk of life. It's, uh, I wish I knew about it sooner um, and could have kind of dealt with it and, uh, uh, Understood that, you know, I was put into these situations that were somewhat surreal in the uh, automotive industry and the DJ industry, uh, music, um, the engineering, the you know, all sorts of stuff that uh, I found myself in this situation for a reason mm -hmm. and uh, that I did belong there. Instead of beating myself up, like coming up with all these insecurities and letting those um, come to the forefront and fuel this anxiety and self-sabotage mm -hmm. um behavior so how so how did you deal with that was that a, 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 a i'm sure it's been a long process um you know uh a lot of it's you know therapy and and, and talking to people and uh just having a little like self-realizations um you know peer support um it's it's taken a while and again i still have spells of it mm -hmm. you know uh from time to time, I don't think it's anything that uh, you completely get over. Um, you, you just gotta kind of pinch yourself. Like I still hear celebrities talk about it, you know, um, having imposter syndrome. I, I forget. I was watching a 
uh, interview. I, I want to. I think it was on uh, David Letterman interviewing someone, and they were talking about imposter syndrome. And I was like, Oh, I got to talk to Corey about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the imposter syndrome is, is it's so weird because um, my story with with imposter syndrome is that I came to LBC, and uh, a lot of the people here, like some of the uh, one of the vo- the vocal professor here, Doctor Bigley, uh, compared the uh, the MWPA, the Worship Arts. Uh, performing, performing, whatever the music program here, he uh, he uh, said that the caliber of musicians here rivaled that of Peabody Institute. Oh wow! Yeah, well, because <laughs> a lot of these people go and work at Sight and Sound. Like, yeah, I, there's I have so many friends that are literally in Sight and Sound. I have so many friends that are literally at the Fulton Theater right now doing all doing their shows and everything like that. And some some of them are still in college, by the way, <laughs> uh, or not even in college yet. Um, so it's, I, I come to school and I see this, uh, one of the main people that really put this out for me was a guy named Zach Fernback. Not only did he look good, he also was an incredible dancer. He could do ballet. He, uh, was an incredible singer. He was doing, he was like the leads of most things. And then he could, uh, what is it? What is the three threat? He could act as well. He's yeah. a really good actor. Oh and, man, I can't stand this. Oh, because well, <laughs> they are they are like the the peak of yeah. the musical theater yeah. community, and it's sometimes they're they're buttholes. But this guy wasn't. He was he was really nice. No, I I when I say I can't stand it, it's out of jealousy. Like I wish oh, I grew up. Enough, I grew yeah. up around so many people that were so multi talented like that, and I was just like, oh, well, man. I I grew up <laughs> I grew up around those people, but they were also buttholes. So I, <laughs> so well, I, yeah, I just didn't like some I of just, them were. But um um so I, so I I came in with him. There were so many other powerhouse musicians at that point that were all just like like a lot of the freshman class class got lead roles in in the LBC musicals that were happening here. So I I, I and I come in with I, I'm a percussionist. Uh, I come in. That's my primary instrument. And then my great really good guy Matt Cross, one of the best drummers I ever known. Um, he can he can do stuff like like. A snarky puppy like that yeah. kind of, like that kind of level of drumming and uh, I, and i come in and i'm playing like like simple rock and roll yeah beats. yeah like and four I'm, four like yeah, right. real straightforward like, yeah boom chick boom chick with some <laughs> hi-hat in it and i'm i'm just like uh i don't really know how i got in this place yeah and so it, it was it, it was a long time but one of the things that really that really stuck with me was that uh this guy zach fernback he was uh, doing a solo for the Christmas concert, and I just happened to r- run into him upstairs. He was kind of having a little bit of a breakdown, and I realized, oh, he's human. Yeah, he has yeah, feelings. Yeah, he's, absolutely. He's dealing with this too. Yeah, and and that was a real eye open eye opener for me. Is that people that, like you know the people that you look up to or like think the highest of also have these issues. And there's also a. Uh, uh... Be true to yourself, and usually there's uh, in your art, and there's usually a place for that, an mm-hmm. opening for that. Like being a four four drummer, like there's nothing wrong with that. And there's right. people that are extraordinary. Like you, there, you have your Dave Grohl, who's mm-hmm. very four four, very straightforward rock and roll drummer, one of the best out there. And then you have like your Neil Peart, or right. you know, uh, people that are so technical and so over the top odd time signatures and all over the place Multiple time and it's just yeah. it's apples and oranges yeah is it, one better than the other no no and, it's and just there's different a, there's a place for both and you can find those places because i don't granted popular music isn't going to be using multiple time signatures that's more of experimental yeah. music than, yeah. than anything it's cool and it's funky but you're gonna go much farther with just a simple four four beat. Well, do you want to be famous or do you want to be a musician? Right, exactly. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> do you want to play odd time signatures or be on the radio? Right, <laughs> exactly, and that's part of the whole thing. So it was really interesting. Um, and I can't play like I I I play piano and I like play drums. Yeah, but same. I'm I'm not proficient at at. at well, I guess I kind of am, but I'm not classically trained. <laughs> I'm not because well, I, I, I I can look at a chord and I know all the theory See, and all that. The jazz. funny thing is, we'll we'll sit here and be like, oh, we're not proficient or we're not great at it because we're used to seeing people that are They're super so much proficient. Better, yeah. But to somebody who can't play any any instrument, I if they saw you yeah. or I sit behind a piano, I'm not that good at it. whatever. They'd be like, oh wow, you can play piano. And I'd be like, uh, uh, sort of, yeah. <laughs> 
But sure. uh, yeah, yeah, I can't. I, I don't. I don't know my fingering for the scales or anything <laughs> technical like that. So it, yeah. it's it's more of just uh oh, I you give me a chord sheet, I can do that, and I can riff off that all yeah, day, yeah. and it's no problem. Um, but coming into the space where there's like there's people playing like Liszt or Rachmaninoff oh. on the piano, and it's like. Um, I'm gonna break my hand if I do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not even Just, gonna. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. It's stuff that's almost impossible to play. Uh, that's literally pushing the limits of the human ability, and it's like I don't know if I belong here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, in my mind, you know, that's the stuff that I. Those are the people, and those are the things that I would compare myself to for like mm-hmm. the imposter syndrome that we were talking about. You know, if I can't do it like that well, I don't belong here. <laughs> if I can't do it like the the most highest level yeah i don't belong here i don't belong here what am why am i wasting my time right (laughs) and and it's 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 kind of funny that that we we compare ourselves to the highest level in it but you got to always realize that someone is always going to be better at what you do and there's there's we we like to say the greatest of all time but there's always someone better yeah and there's always there there and it's always changing too yeah so again like um i think the best of all time there isn't really a thing like that to me it's you know it's the best of the moment and mm-hmm. uh, uh the best of a particular sound and and the best becomes a very broad term after you've been around for a while super yeah. subjective um you know be do your best at whatever you're gonna do there you go <laughs> well with that we're kind of running out of time on the radio so is we're gonna take a little bit of a a break? Are, are, yeah, are you let's take a quick go? break and All right. we'll come back. I'm going to play one of my songs. This is called You Remain. This is a worship song I wrote two years ago when I was dealing with a lot of stuff, especially during the pandemic. Um, so I hope you enjoy that. When I am weak, can no longer speak. You are there, right beside me When all hope is lost And I can't bear the cost You are there, paying it for me And when things turn to dust And there's nothing to trust You are there, honest to me Oh, it's clear who
And that was my song, uh, You Remain. Um, where can people find you at? Do you have any, like, I guess you can find you at Zotropolis Cinemas. Yeah. House. That, that, is, that is my uh, primary gig nowadays. Um, I'm at Zotropolis uh, for basically all live events going on. Uh, unless I've got something else on, I have some competent, you know, buddies that will come in and, and cover for me. But for the most part, I'm there. Uh, for every live event. So, so I, I'd say, you know, check out Zotropolis's website if you're mm -hmm. interested in uh, coming to uh, an event or if you see me there and want to say hi, you want to talk about the industry, um, I'd be more than happy to, like, uh, uh, sit down with somebody when I have a few minutes and, and talk to it. Um, if you're interested in getting into the industry, um, you can find me at uh, .com, um is my email. And uh, shoot me an email. I am looking for people that are interested in getting into the industry. Oh, well, there you have it. And with that said, we're going to go back to the regular radio and we will continue live on facebook.com forward slash the story. If you'd like to hear more about that, we're going to get into some other topics. And with that said, goodbye to the radio.